change can be unsettling for us. Just when we feel like we have life under control, we have things settled, we have things figured out, and something rolls into our lives, something jars us, something shakes us, it's difficult for us. And I would suspect for most of us, in those moments, we fight that change. I was thinking about when I was a senior in high school, getting near the end of my time of high school, and plans for college. We lived in southern Indiana. We're heading to, I'm heading to Pennsylvania to college. And about the first half of June, my parents came to us and said, oh, by the way, we're going to move. We're moving to Oregon, and we're all going to head that way. And I, I'm like, no, I'm not going. I'm, I have my plan set. I know exactly what I want to do. I know where this is headed. I do not want this to happen. And they were gracious with me, and we talked through it, and eventually we moved. <laughs> you do these things, right? But you know, it was unsettling. It was hard. That kind of life change is, is difficult. It, it, it strikes us, and, and the first response is always, no. And that's what intrigues me when, when I think about the crucifixion, and particularly a passage, we didn't read it this morning, but it's a passage in Acts chapter 4, that the disciples are, are out preaching in Jerusalem, and it says, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. And these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. And I was reading that recently, and it struck me, why were they so upset that Peter and John are teaching that there's a resurrection of the dead? What's the big deal about teaching about the resurrection? A part of it is because the Sadducees didn't believe in the afterlife. They they didn't believe in the resurrection at all. They believe that this life is it. But I think there's something deeper going on for them. Because they have begun to realize if it's true that Jesus rose from the dead, and that that means that everyone who follows him also will live and will be resurrected bodily as well, it throws everything about how you think about life now into chaos. Nothing can be the same. If a person can rise from the dead, if death isn't the end, if there is more, if it's bigger and greater, then life is not what we think it is. And it throws everything into chaos, everything into into upheaval. And no wonder they're fighting against them. No wonder they're upset. There's an old story I read years ago. There's a play and drama, and in there there's a dialogue about Jesus' resurrection, and a soldier says to, actually it's a pilot's wife, and she, she asked the soldier, do you think he's alive? And he said, yes. She said, where do you think he is? And his response was, he's loose in the world where no one can contain him. And there's something about that. I think that the Sadducees and the religious leaders are thinking, if Jesus really is alive, then we can't contain him anymore. There's no telling what he will do. I mean, we thought we had him boxed in. We even had him so boxed in, we put him on a cross. And that's it. Done. Finished. We wipe our hands of it, and it's over. And we can go back to living the way we want to live. 
But if you're telling us that he has risen from the dead, that the biggest enemy, the greatest threat we have against him is no longer valid, what are we going to do with that? Everything's out of control. Everything's up for grabs. There is no telling what God will do. And you would think people who are in the business of religious stuff would be happy that God has all the freedom in the world to do what he wants to do. But they're not. Because they have their designs on what life is like, what they want life to be. And quite frankly, what Jesus is saying and what God is saying to them disrupts that. And I suspect that maybe there's a little bit of that in our lives. Just a little bit of, if God is who he says he is, if Jesus has done what he says he has done, if Jesus has risen from the dead, if this life is not the end, if we are going to be resurrected bodily, if God has more in store and God is completely in control and we are not, it's going to change some things about how we think and how we live. I mean, the bottom line for these religious folk is that if Jesus rose from the dead, then it means that everything Jesus said is true. All the ways in which Jesus talked about life and the kingdom are true. And for people who have their own ideas about the kingdom, that's unsettling. I don't know about you, but it is to me sometimes. Because I've got my ideas of what I want the kingdom to be. I've got my ideas about what I, how I want God to act and what I want God to do. And it's unsettling when God says, um, I think we're going to go this way instead of that way. I want you to think like this instead of like that. I mean, it completely define, redefines how we think about success. How we think about what, what's valuable. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 14. About um, talks to the people about going to a banquet. He says, when you go to the banquet, don't take the seat of the highest honor. Take the low seats. Take the humble seats. Don't live with such a high level of arrogance because it's going to get, it's going to come to, to bite you in the end. And he's saying the kingdom is about being humble. What is success? It's not wealth and power and influence and fame. It's sacrifice and humility It's love. It's compassion. It's everything that is the opposite of what our society and culture tells us is success. And it's so easy to buy into that. And yet here's the risen Christ saying, look, I tried to tell you that the way to life is death. But it's hard to see it. It changes how we view other people, particularly people that... Quite frankly, we would rather avoid people who are needy. This whole encounter starts here in Acts 4 because of what happens in Acts 3. Peter and John are going to the temple uh, to, uh, to worship. And there's a, a man crippled there and he asks them for money. And Peter says, well, we don't have any money, but how about if we pray for you to be healed? He says, okay. And he prays and he's healed. 
And, and he's running around dancing and jumping. And in fact, the religious leaders later say, how are we going to combat this? The guy's standing right here. There's not a lot we can say about this. We can't deny it. But they're upset in some ways because Peter and John are telling them the kingdom is not just for people who have power and wealth and influence and all the advantages of life. It's about people who are needy and burdened and weighed down. And all of the ways in which we think about priorities of life are completely shifted if resurrection is true. And I think something in the back of the minds of the, of the religious leaders understands that. And that's why they're fighting against it. And something in the back of our minds really would rather not believe that. Because we want to believe that the ways of success and power are kind of look a lot like how everybody else thinks about it. Because if you take the the pathway of priority of humility and compassion and grace and patience and love, you you often get trampled on. I mean, look what happens to Jesus. I mean, we're excited today about the resurrection, but look what we had to go through to get to today. There's one one of the ancient prayers of the church. It says, Lord, we thank you That the way of life is the way of the cross. I think that's a gutsy prayer. I actually don't like praying that prayer. Because if that's true, then that means it's not just about Jesus going to the cross, but it's about you and me recognizing that life comes through death. That the value of the kingdom is in giving and serving and loving, patience and compassion. turns everything upside down if resurrection's true. I, I think it I think it has a, a bearing on how we how we think about what we have as well. You know, if you're going to be compassionate and patient and loving and caring, then you end up in a situation like the disciples are at the end of chapter four, where it says they had everything in common They shared everything they had. No one thought that what was his own was his own, but it was all of ours. And there is this spirit in resurrection life that says, what I have is about giving, not about hoarding. It's about how much can I give away, not how much can I hang on to. It's a completely different mindset than everything we are taught as we grow up in this world. I mean, everything we're taught in this life is hang on to it, clutch it, grasp it, keep it. And there is wisdom in, in you know, having, having the right things and doing the right things with what we have. But there is a mindset that is thinking, how much can I give away and still live? As opposed to how little can I give away and still be in good graces with God? It completely transforms our thinking about all of life. And quite frankly, that's unsettling. Because it changes the way in which all the world thinks about stuff. And ultimately, though, it is about how we deal with sin and evil in this world. I mean, 
Here the, are Peter and John, and later on in this chapter, it talks about how the religious leaders look at them and say, you know, they're unschooled. They don't have education like we have. But, wow, there's something in them that you can't ignore. And they are courageous and bold, even in a spirit of humility, in front of these religious leaders who threaten them. They say to them, uh, we're going we're to let you go, but don't talk anymore about resurrection. And Peter and John say to them, look, who are we going to obey, you or God? We have to obey God. And the next chapter, they're out preaching again. And it eventually costs them their lives. But they can do it because they know that death is not the end. They know that the greatest threat against them has been defeated. Because Christ is risen. And it changes the whole dynamic of how we think and how we live in the face of opposition and difficulty. I mean, I think about our brothers and sisters around the world who this day don't have the privilege of gathering in worship like we do. It, you know, I think about this as we, as we read in the, in, the, in the bulletin today and prayed. In the last year, more than 7,000 believers lost their lives just because they're followers of Jesus. And the threat and the persecution and the opposition that so many of our brothers and sisters live under is unbelievable for them. And yet you read their testimonies and you see their courage and their faith in the midst of that. They experience things that, quite frankly, you and I probably know very little about. And yet there they are, standing up for the gospel, Speaking the truth, living compassionately, lovingly, because they are living with a resurrection perspective. And ultimately, it is that that changes how we think. And as unsettling as life may be, and as unsettling as the call of resurrection may be, it is the greatest thing in the world. Because anything we give up is to gain. Anything we lose is to get more. What feels like loss sometimes is victory. And when the people watched Jesus die on Friday, they had no clue in that time, in that first in the, in the first century what Sunday was going to bring. But when Sunday came, it changed everything. And it does for you and me as well. The thing about resurrection that I think sometimes we miss, it took me a long time to see this, is that often we think that the resurrection means that we will live after we die. And that's true. But resurrection just as much means that we live now before we die. That we live now in hope and joy and grace and truth and courage, and humility, and love. That the Spirit of Christ can change us now. And yes, sometimes it feels unsettling. Sometimes it feels like we're losing and we're giving up. But we're gaining Christ. And we're gaining, we're gaining the, the risen Christ in our lives to lead us and to guide us and to fill us and to change us and to be agents of change in this world. Tim Keller says that Talks about when you drive, when a big truck drives over a little bridge, 
there's what you might call a bridge quake. And if you've ever done that at the same time as a truck, you feel it. And he says, if you have somebody who, who uh, a large man walking on thin ice, you get an ice quake. And that can be a little bit unsettling to feel that. And he says, when you really embrace the resurrection, when the resurrection really becomes the meaning of our lives, we get a life quake. It changes things. It has to. It, it changes how we think, and it changes how we feel, it changes how we live, how we treat one another. It changes how we view the world and our lives and other people. But a life quake doesn't have to be bad. It can be the most awesome thing in the world. And he says it's like, it's like, um, he said something that made me think about the fact that I wrestle with migraine headaches. And um, I had them since I was a little child. And um, they, they, you know, they're debilitating. And some of you know the, the burden of that and the weight of that and how debilitating it can be. And I'm always thinking, I've always been thinking about what is it that triggers these headaches? And unfortunately, one of the things that I've discovered that triggers migraine headaches for me is coffee. And I love coffee. I love the smell of coffee. I love the taste of coffee. I don't put, I don't water it down with anything, just black, you know, strong and black. And, and I love espresso. In fact, I don't know if you've ever had those chocolate-covered coffee beans. I mean, those are the greatest things in the world. You're just chewing coffee, you know. It, it's awesome. And I love that. I love everything about it. I love grinding it. I just love everything about coffee. And to come to the realization that coffee is a migraine trigger is, was so difficult for me. In fact, I kept fighting the truth about it for a long time. And I would think, I figured out, okay, if I eat a bunch of sweets and drink coffee, then I'm okay. It doesn't affect me quite as much. It kind of dilutes it down. But then there are other consequences for that. <laughs> but, you know, I finally had to come to the place of saying, look, do I want to be free of migraines or do I want to keep dealing with that because I don't want to let go of coffee? What seemed like it was so great. And the truth of the matter is, it's a, much as I still miss drinking coffee, to live with a lot less migraines is a pretty easy trade-off when I think about it. And there is something about embracing the resurrection that Christ comes into our lives, and yes, it changes the way we think about things, and it changes the way we, we view ourselves in the world, and sometimes it feels like we're losing, it feels like we're giving up so much. But the reality is, we're gaining the risen Christ. And all that that means, and the power to live in freedom, and to live victoriously, and to be filled with his joy and his grace and his mercy and his love. And to be his people. And that's what God wants for every one of us. And the big deal of the resurrection is that it changes our lives. And because it changes us, it has the potential to change other people. And to change the world, to change the culture, to change everything about this existence we have, not just in the world to come, but now, today, life as we live it. My prayer 
is that the resurrection will so get a hold of us, it will change the way we think and live, that we will become people so filled with the resurrected Christ that maybe there might be a few people who are completely opposed to God who would say, that's too much. Maybe even like the the Sadducees, that, that they would see in us the potential for the world to be turned upside down because they see Christ in us. The resurrected Christ living in us today and in the days to come. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us with the resurrected Christ. Lord, help us to live in the power of the resurrection and the grace of the resurrection. Let it transform how we think and how we feel. Even if it means upsetting the status quo of our lives, give us the grace to embrace you. And we ask this through Christ. Amen.